let's pray and ask God to just bless this word and to honor him. Father, we are so indebted to you. We as fathers know that it is only by your grace that we can even be even a molecule of what you are as our father. Father, we pray that we are imitators of the Almighty Father and do how he loved his son and how he loves his people and sacrifices for his people. Father, we pray that the word of God will not return void and that we will grow in this area of being a father, being a man, being a Christian, and being a disciple of Christ. Father, we thank you for those who have come out this morning. We thank you for their dedication to the word of God. And Father, we pray that they, that we will all benefit from your word. Not from what I have to say, but from what the word of God teaches us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Number one, it says, a real man is godly. A real man is godly. Or women, you might want to cross out man and say, a real woman is godly. This is maybe seem rather basic. But this is the one of the most important points. If you are not godly, then you cannot never achieve to be a real man. If you are not godly, you can never achieve to be a real man. Turn if you would turn to First Timothy four. First Timothy four. Our teens are probably going to be really familiar with this passage because they had to memorize it. But I think it is key because it talks about what is godliness. 1 Timothy 4. And we'll read verse 6, six through 8. 1 Timothy 4, verse 6 through 8. And it says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. We all understand the concept of training. You've trained for an athletic event or trained for your job. You understand that the concept of that. The same is for godliness. A lot of times when you train, especially for like an athletic event or for a run or something, whatever you might be involved in, it involves sweat. Usually you sweat. And the same thing is for godliness. We need to have some kind of spiritual sweat here. To be sweating, to actually be working hard enough because we need to experience this sweat. Train for godliness. Now you say, well, I'm already saved. God saved me. He completely saved me. And that is a, that is a universal truth and it's to its basics universal. But... We have to understand that we also have to be more godly. We have to be in the scriptures, constantly be um, reading and praying to be more godly. It takes spiritual sweat. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Men, we will never get anywhere spiritually without a conscience 
devicement of the things that the things that are holding us back. We will never understand what it means to be godly until we get rid of the things that are holding us back. The question then becomes: Are you man enough to do this? The call of dis- discipline demands you throw it away. Everything that is meaningless, you throw it away for the point of discipline. Before we move on, I would like to say that this is one reason, I think, that we as men, in some sense, are weak. We are weak to discipline our mind, discipline ourselves. Women, it goes for women too. We are weak to discipline. Why? Because I think we have it confused. I think we want to, we're afraid to discipline ourselves because it looks maybe a little legalistic. Because we're doing something and people look at us and you're like, they're just a little legalistic here. And I want you to understand that the difference between legalism and discipline, legalism is self-centered. You're doing it for yourself. You're doing it for so people can see you, so people can recognize you. Oh, he's holy. And only you know that. But the difference between discipline and legalism, discipline is God-centered. You do it because God tells you to. You do it because you have the conviction because God doesn't allow you to. And that's the difference. I think there are many times where we get confused. And I think it's wrong to think this. And we look at somebody and say, that person is just very legalistic. But actually, they've disciplined their lives to try to be as godly as they possibly can. Now, you don't know their motive. But it's wrong for us to judge them for that motive. Because maybe, actually, you're thinking, maybe I should be more like them than rather be what I'm doing. And you have a conviction in your own heart. But it's God-centered. Discipline is God-centered, and legalism is self-centered. Number two, a real man is relational. A real man is relational. This starts as being pure. This is one of the biggest problems of the church today is men are not pure. Women are not pure. We don't have a pure mind. I think we, can, we cannot stress enough for guys and gals, but especially guys, that we are not exempt because we are, quote, Christians from falling into impurity. Men, are you pure? Look in your heart. Are you pure? What is your thought life? What do you think? What... Do you watch? What do you watch? What just comes into your mind? And also, how, this is a big one today, how do you use the internet? I know one person who I, he does not turn the internet on or the computer on unless his wife's there because he's afraid of the temptation of it. Another thing, fathers, you have the responsibility to make sure that when your daughters walk out the door, that they are dressed so that no man may stumble. That's your responsibility, men. Fathers, your responsibility. And women, women slash mothers, you have the responsibility to teach your daughters how to dress. And you need to be asking your husbands if you are wearing, what you are wearing is appropriate. Your husband should be the judge of what you are wearing. In one sense. And say, this is appropriate and this is not. And don't question whether it is or not. Just say, okay. Because, you see, 
Although men struggle with this, and don't get me wrong, men, we need to focus our eyes somewhere else. But it's also, women, we, you need to help us because that's our, our sin nature. We, that's what happens. And I think we need to work together to stay pure in that area. A, a question you might want to ask is, especially for fathers, you say, I don't know how to judge wearing. Think about this. If it was on somebody else, another girl or another woman, would you str- struggle with that on them? If you would, say, take it off, find something else. They had to wear a sweatsuit. No, I'm kidding. Then, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But it is important because we don't want our eyes to be focused on things that are impure. Men, we need to learn to not look at women. But women, we need your help in this area. And it takes both of us. Being pure is the most common subject, the most the biggest subject in the Bible that is constantly being brought up. It is more common than grace, the cross, and even hell. Being pure. Of all the sins in the Bible, being pure is the most common of them all. Because it has the most effect on people. When I, was, uh, when I went to camp, um, I went to camp for six years, from junior high all the way up to high school, and there was this guy who I knew... He was the leader, and I respected this guy a whole lot. I mean, he discipled me in some ways. He was my leader. He was just a fun guy to hang out with. And um, the other, last week, my dad called me and said that this guy was caught having an affair. I would have never imagined this guy ever doing something like this, ever, not in a hundred years. He was the executive pastor of this church. And he, he resigned. But, you know, to think that we are, um, there's no way that we could fall in something like this is really naive of us to think something like that. And so I want to encourage you men to get rid of the things that are causing you to be impure. Be honest with your wife and say, I struggle with this. Because you know what? That's what your wife is there for, to help you with that. It is, but this guy, I want to go back to this guy. What kind of, you know, you're an example to people around you. People see you, and they might see you as that leader. And then when something like this, it crushes that whole, they don't think of you as anything else but that. That is what that sin does. Men, we also need to be relational in our marriage. Sometimes this is a little harder for us as men to be relational But we need to have sacrificing love, a sanctifying love, and a selfless love toward our spouse. Men, if you are not growing spiritually, neither is your wife. Men, if you are not growing spiritually, neither is your wife. We are the leaders of the home, and I think, not because necessarily I lead one, that every man should be involved in some kind of men's Bible study. Some kind of men's group. And we have to start more, we'll start more. But Sunday morning, I don't think, is enough for us. We need people to help us keep accountable. Keep us accountable. Or to for men who are struggling with the exact same issues you are, because I guarantee there is one, to encourage us and to come alongside us. 
It is sad to me to, to see men who do not want to teach their children about loving God and being pure because it's not, that's not important to them. Why? Because most likely they struggle with that themselves and they don't want to do it themselves. Let me ask you, men, do your kids see the priority in your relationships? Do your kids see those priorities? And your most important relationship is God. We were watching, for Sunday school, we watched the prodigal God. And he was talking about all these good things. The family. Those are good things. The, your job. Those are good things to, in one sense, um, to not, to, in one sense, focus your life on. But here's the thing. God's more important. Is your relationship with God more important than your relationship even with your wife or your kids? How is that? Where's the boundary there? Or do we struggle with that? Men, we need to be godly, we need to be relational, but we also need to be disciplined in our mind. A real, real man has a soul, I put that, but a real man really is, has a disciplined mind. Has a different disciplined mind. Men, we must discipline our mind, and we must show those around us our love for God's word. Do you show people your love for God's word? Turn to Psalm 119.97, if you would. Psalm 119.97. Psalm 119.97. We're going to read all the way to verse 100. And it says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I love more... I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for keep your precepts. Is that your focus? Do you love the, your, the Word of God? Do you meditate it all the day? Men, do you take time? I fail at this numerous times. And so, like I said, I'm with you. I'm here. I'm not... Anything different than you. But I fail numerous times at doing this. And I'm, in one sense, a pastor. But do you fail in reading God's word with your children? With your spouse? Do you do that? Do you read it with your spouse? Do you read it with your children? It's so important to show them that you love God. And you love his word. How about your discipline of devotion here? Same with the mind, your discipline of devotion. When was the last time you meditated on Scripture? When was the last time you memorized Scripture? Or is that only for the truth seekers? Are only the truth seekers are allowed to memorize Scripture? Because I think if we asked, I think unfortunately the poll would be a little low for those who last time you memorized a Scripture passage. Unfortunately. Because you can't meditate without knowing God's Word. And if you memorize it, you know God's word. Because it's in your mind. And you're constantly thinking and dwelling on that. When was the last time that you didn't just read God's word, that you chewed over it and you just kept chewing and chewing and thinking about that word of God, the word of God? When was the last time you did that? My grandfather once told me that your devotions are not reading something in the morning and praying and being done. Now, those are good things. You should be doing those. But that's not just a devotion. I think we say our morning devotions. Here's what it is. But I think that devotion, he said, that 
is what you think about your whole day. So whatever is most precious to you, he said, will be what you devote about your whole in your mind. That's what you think about. What's most precious to you is what you're thinking about all the time. It's kind of like what one person said. You love what you love. You love to do. You do what you love to do. Here you go. You do what you love to do. Because if you love doing something, you would do it. If it. Is it hard to read God's word? Maybe you don't love it like you should. How about this? What is your prayer life like? How are you disciplined in your prayer life? I think we um, we have a good attendance on Wednesday nights, but our Wednesday nights are our once our prayer meeting. We call it a prayer meeting. We have other things besides just praying. But would you struggle if we said we're going to pray for an hour? How about we're going to pray for ten minutes? We're going to pray for fifteen, twenty, twenty-five minutes. One hour. We're going to pray for one hour, and we just want you to pray for one hour. When was the last time you prayed for one hour? Have you ever prayed for one hour? Not that time necessarily matters. I love reading books that are full with prayers. They are um, just so rich. I think there's a book called The Valley of Vision. I think I've mentioned it before from here. But I would encourage, I think it's a book that really every believer, I'll say every believer, should have in their possession. Because it is, a book, it is a book that is just filled with just prayers from Puritans, from, they don't really give the names out, but it's pure prayers. They're just so, so rich, because you know that their heart probably was right there, and they're praying this. And I want to um, read this one. It's called Living by Prayer. Living by Prayer. And it said, and it says, O God of the open ear. Teach me to live by prayer as well as providence. For myself, soul, body, children, family, church. Give me a heart frameable to thy will. So might I live in prayer and honor thee. Being kept from evil, known and unknown. Help me to see the sin that accompanies all I do. And the good I can distill from everything. Let me know that the work of prayer is to bring my will to thine, and that without this it is folly to pray. When I try to bring thy will to mine, it is to command Christ to be above him and wiser than, wiser than he. This is my sin and my pride. I can only succeed when I pray according to thy precepts and promise. And to be done with as it pleases thee according to thy sovereign will. When thou commandest me to pray for pardon, peace, brokenness. It is because thou wilt give me the thing promised. For thy glory as well as for my good. Help me not to desire small things. But with holy boldness to desire great things. For thy people, for thy, for myself and that, I, and that they and I might live to show thy glory. Teach me that it is wisdom for me to pray for all I have. Out of love, willingly, not for necessity, that I may come to thee at any time, to, open, to lay open my needs acceptably to thee. That my great sin lies to my not keeping the Savior of thy ways. 
that the remembrance of the, this truth is one way to the sense of thy presence. That there is no wrath like the wrath of being governed by my own lust and my own ends. Prayer. To live by prayer. Do you live by prayer? What, do your kids know you by, as a praying person? Do people around you know you as a prayer warrior? That might be a strange word in our, for our younger generation. You probably don't even know what a prayer warrior is. And it's usually our, the older um, people in our church who are the prayer warriors. Because they understand the value of the prayer, of praying. Men, do you pray? And when you live by prayer and devote yourself to God and your mind is on His eternal word, then you have a God-centered worship at all times. You're constantly worshiping Him. Not just in song, and just the way you think, the way you act, and what you do. A real man is also has character. A real man has character. They say that a man's word is his greatest quality. But this is based on, on the integrity of that man. Kent Hughes says this about integrity. Integrity characterizes the entire person, not just part of him. He is righteous and honest through and through. He is not only that inside, but also in the outer action. This goes for women too. What is your integrity? A person's character is also, though, based on their tongue. Not just their integrity, but their tongue. It is sad when I hear Christians, quote Christians, or Christians, say that they cannot keep their tongue from cursing. Now, acting like maybe the Bible doesn't say anything about it. But I do, I do want to bring this point in. I want you to understand this, that the Bible is very clear about how we use our tongue. In fact, James devotes a whole chapter to it and says, watch your tongue. It is, it is the strongest muscle in your body. It is said, or Ephesians 4.29, sorry, Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. That it may give grace to those who hear. Everything you say should build somebody up and give them grace. James 3, 8 through 10. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is restless, evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Father, our Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth. Come blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not be so of you. He's talking to Christians here, believers, disciples. A man, though, is known by his integrity, he's known by how he, his speech. And a man, his character is also defined by his work effort, work effort. Are you lazy? Are you a lazy person? You sit around all day, don't really do much. Or do you work hard? When you work hard, do you, or do you do it to your best ability? When you work, do you do it to your best 
ability. This goes for all of us. If you were working for anything, you should do it the best ability. Here are a few things that I think um, put in your mind, um, men, as we work, or women, anyone. Do you work for the glory of God? Is that your first purpose of working? Do you work for the glory of God? Do you honestly work hard? Do you honestly work hard? Do you work with enthusiasm? Maybe you don't love your job, but you do it with enthusiasm. You don't put the job down because you don't like it. Talk to your employees, say, I hate my job, I don't like it. That's not correct attitude. Do you work wholeheartedly? When you show up to work, do you work from 8 to 5 non-stop? Working. And do you do excellent work? Not can you do excellent work, do you? When you show up for a job, do you do it to the best ability to where you did it as good as you possibly could? Now, you might not be able to build the best... um, the best bookshelf. Let's say you're building a bookshelf. You can't do it to the best of your... If you can't build a bookshelf and you're not very good at sawing all those things, well, you know, it might look a little teetered. But did you do it to the best of your ability? Did you do it the most excellence you possibly can? Mediocrity is not excellent. But we need to be excellent in what we do. We need to be excellent as being fathers. As excellent as we possibly can. By the grace of God, we need to be excellent. It's only by the grace of God we can. And finally, the final discipline is, men, are you faithful? A real man is faithful to his ministry or in his ministry. A real man is faithful in his ministry. This area is probably, at some times, one of the biggest disappointments in the church. I'm not just talking to men here. I'm talking about women too. It is sad when we see people serving the church and others just sitting there doing nothing. It's sad to see that. And I have good memories of people who served the church and never complained once about it. Just faithful servants. But I have just as many memories, if not more, of people who just did nothing. Or if they did serve, they complained every time they did. Oh, i got to do this again. Oh, I don't want to do this. Always complaining. I don't really want to say this because it's Kind of not the best light, but I'm going to. I put in the bulletin that we needed Wednesday nights helpers for the children. And if you came to me, I know there's a few that did come to me, and I appreciate it. But those who came to me were already hardworking in the children's ministry. And the point was to try to give them a break. Try to give them a, a little break between, because they do it constantly. And it was really just kind of disappointing that... No one really just volunteered. We had to put a sign-up sheet and say, if you don't sign up here, we're going to sign your name here and make you do it. And that's not what we want to do. That's not servanthood. That's just me, us being mean parents in one sense and making you do something that you don't want to do. We still, in some degree, don't have a helper for the twos and three-year-old. Now I'm putting a plug here. We need helper for a two and three year old class. May I convict somebody here? But we don't. Now Leah Drumheller, who's here for the summer, volunteered and she was gracious and she said, "I will do it. 
I'm so happy that she did. But she leaves in August. And there's a lot of kids down there. (laughs) Two years ago, we had a lot of of babies born. Now, two years later, here they all are. All in that room. They're all about two years old, too. And that's tough. Who wants to go down there and try to teach a two-year-old about God? I don't want to do that. But, and it's not just children ministry. It's other ministries, too. There's more ministries here that we could use more helping hands. And sometimes we might say, I'm helping this much. And so somebody else should come along and serve. Until they do, we've got to help more. Do more. It is said that fathers... It is sad, sorry. It is sad that fathers do not make attending church a priority. I know many people who don't make necessarily church as a priority. Where you can't even get out of bed to come to Sunday school because it's too early. Or even struggle to come to church because it's too hard. And on the most elementary level, on the most elementary level, we know that you do not have to go to church to be saved. That's given. I'm not preaching that if you, you had to come to the church to be saved. I'm not saying that. But, you do not have to go home to be married either. In both cases, if you do not, you'll have a poor relationship with that person or the thing. You will. You cannot have a good relationship with God if you cannot ever be with God people. You're not with the people who actually love God. If you're always in the world, how is that going to help you? You're always away from home from your spouse. How will you actually grow closer to your spouse? Probably more fighting than there will be resolving of issues. Goes hand in hand. Let me ask you this. What small groups are you a part of? We started small groups again in January and we hope to kind of took a sabbatical in one sense. And we'll start in September. What small groups were you a part of? Or is that too much? Men, we need to show our kids the priority of God in our lives. And something small as church, it, that's not just it. It takes being God's word, praying, showing them the example and our love for God. Because when they grow up, they will see that and they'll say, you know what? My dad didn't always go to church, so why should I? It will be because of the father, not because of the necessity of the mother. We can make every excuse not to be at church. Make every excuse. I was, uh, this morning, my wife got me this shirt and this bow tie. And I could have been like, you know what? Because I could not tie this thing. Thank you to Jeffrey Witters. No, Whitaker, sorry. Whitaker. He tied my bow tie. So that's why I have a bow tie. But if he wasn't here, I could have been like, you know what? Forget this. I'm not going to go because I can't tie this tie. Nope, not going to do it. And I wanted to wear this bow tie, but I didn't. I mean, that might be seem a little lame, but really all the excuses they come up with are pretty lame. Now, there are good excuses. Like I said, church doesn't mean you're, had to, you're going to be saved. We're not necessarily a Catholic church where you had to be a part of the church. But it is where you grow in your relationship with God. It is where you go and see God's people. Men... The way you treat your priority in church is, again, exactly how your children will treat it. And honestly, the way you treat the priority of the church 
is most likely how you treat your priority of God. My parents were at church every time the door opened. I remember it distinctly. In fact, my dad made it, he had a comment one time, he was the choir director, and he, he, he was always the guy who, I want to be early, I want to be there, you know, I don't want to be late. I don't like being late. And a person in the church once told him, once you have kids, you'll start being late. And he took that to heart and said, I will never be late. And we were never late. Sometimes we were like 30 minutes early. But we were never late. <laughs> we were never late. Because he made a priority. But he made a priority to go to church. And my dad, even though he's a pastor now, was not a pastor when I grew up. He worked in a vinyl company, producing vinyl. That's all he did. 40, 50 hours a week. But his priority was get us to church. Even we, at a point we decided to go to a different church because there were some things that my dad just didn't agree with. And so we left the church. And that same morning, we didn't get a break we went to another church. And so, um, but we, it was, I remember now, such a great thing. At the time, I was a kid. I would love to sleep in, not do anything for a day. It had been awesome. But now, I look back and I say, you know what? I'm glad that my parents made me go to church. Because I see the, the benefit of it. Especially as believers, we should see the benefit of it. So what is your priority, men? Hebrews 10.25 says, not neglecting to meet together, as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do not forsake the assembly of God. Don't forsake it. Be, at, be with those who are encouraging you, building you up. Mark Dever is known as the, the church pastor, in one sense, because he writes a lot about the church. And he said this, non-attendance in the early years of our church, was considered one of the most sinisters of sins. But it usually veiled all the other sins. When someone began to be in sin, you would expect them to stop attending. Interesting. To be a real man, to be a man who doesn't, who's not in tights, you must be godly. You must be relational. You must discipline your mind. You must have a godly character. And finally, be faithful in your ministry. You, fathers, you have a ministry. And that is to the church, to the, your kids, and to your wife. That is your ministry. Before anything else, those are your ministries. I started out with some funny things from Bill Cosby. But, men, I want you to know this is, this is very serious because with the lack of men in our church, so goes the church. Because the church is built upon men in one sense. Now, it's obviously upon God, and we know that God is the ultimate uh, who we serve. But he put men in charge. He put Moses in charge. He put Joshua in charge. He put men in charge of the church. And when we are weak in these areas... So is the church. So is the church. Although we have a little bit smaller crowd, I believe that every man should listen to this, listen to this not because I'm preaching, but because it is from God's word. And it is, these are truths that we need to understand. 
this goes for your family. As a spiritual leader of your household, men, you have to be all these things so that your wife may follow and your kids as well. And wives, let your husband lead. Let him fail. Let him fail sometimes. That's sometimes the greatest way for a guy to learn. It's just by his failure. But let him lead. Sometimes, we have, sometimes you have a wife who has a strong personality. My wife has a strong personality. But we have to let, him lead, let us lead. Because you know what? That's the biblical principle. That's what God designed. Like I said in the beginning, these five principle disciplines are universal. So, women, you need to be godly. You need to be relational in your marriage and in your purity. You need to have character. And you need to be faithful to your ministry. But they apply in different ways. I'm going to ask you to stand as we pray. And ask God to honor his word. And that we as men will be faithful to what the word of God says. Father, forgive us. We are in need of your grace. It is only because of your grace that we can even attempt to be these men that you call us to be. You are so good to us. You You shape us, you mold us into what you want us to be. And, Lord, we ask you that you forgive us. But if there is a man here this morning who has never put their faith and trust in Christ, who has never believed that they are sinners, who need a Savior, who have never um, just believed in your Son, who has never believed that you came to this earth to fulfill what we could not do, and you died for our sins in our place. And you faced the wrath of God that we deserved. And Father, that we believe that you rose again and you conquered death. And that one day we will see you. And we'll be the men you want us to be. But Father, I pray that these there is a man this morning who does not know you as their Lord and Savior. They will come to know you. And if there's a man here who needs to repent of their sins and change their ways, that they do it. And Father, they discuss it, even with their spouse, and say, I'm sorry for not being the man that you want me, that I need to be. And change their way. Father, because that's the priority of our life, to honor you, to glorify you, to worship you, to love your word, to be in prayer always to devote our minds to you so that we can be godly. Lord, we pray for the grace that you give us and that you give us mercy when we fail because we will fail again. But we know that you give us forgiveness as well. Thank you so much for all that you do for us. We pray that we just honor you and glorify you and that our conduct even today will be Christ-centered and not self-centered. In Jesus' name, amen. If there's anything that we can do for you, um, I'm sure Dave will be down here to address those needs, but we're also here during the week, and we pray that, that 
you will come and approach us. These are things that really, you might need somebody to help you and guide you to do these things. We, we're not alone. I mean, these aren't things that you should try to do by yourself. I mean, that's why we are God's people. That's why we come together as a church. So we can encourage you and build you up and bring you to where we need to be. You're dismissed. And fathers, have a wonderful day.